And I want to direct your attention to the book of Acts, chapter 6. And I'm going to begin reading with verse 1. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of what? Disciples was multiplying. Everybody say multiplying. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. That reminds us that if you have a church full of people, there's always going to be something. There are always going to be challenges. There's always going to be a problem. Turn to somebody and say, don't be the problem. <laughs> then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples. Did you notice that? The 12, the apostles, summoned the multitude of the disciples. They said, it's not desirable that we would leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. By the way, anytime you read the phrase full of in the scripture, it means controlled by. Choose seven men who are controlled by the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word, this next phrase, I think this is the only time it's ever happened in the history of the church. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. This is an apostolic church, and they're laying their hands, and anointing is flowing down, and spiritual authority is coming on these seven men. Notice the results. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great, don't miss this, a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, if you don't like this sermon today, blame your pastor because he is the inspiration. How many of you were either in Orlando at our general conference or you watched online as your pastor preached the paint off the wall at general conference? Raise your hand. Are you proud of your pastor and sister pastor? You should be suitably proud. When he was preaching at that conference, the largest conference we've had in probably 15 or 20 years, he electrified that house and something leaped in my spirit when he shouted the word, multiply. So if you don't like this today, blame it on him. But I don't think you won't like it. Amen. Because I'm going to preach the word. How many love the word? I'm going to preach the word today. And my subject on the occasion of helping you kick off 2023 is simply entitled Multiply. Turn to somebody, give them a high five and say, let's multiply. And everybody's going to help me preach by saying amen at least once during this message. May be seated. All right. Will I have a spirit of cooperation and I might need one or two more amens along the way to help me out. I want to say that what we just read is so significant 
in this moment in the history of the church. I think I could say without exaggeration that what the apostles did and how the congregation responded was a watershed apostolic epic moment in the history of the church. What these apostles decided to do was to not control the operation of the Spirit, to not restrict the power of the ministry, but they decided we as the spiritual leaders of the church are going to share the ministry, we are going to share the opportunity, and we are going to share the credit with the congregation. They said, look out among you, seven to represent you. All we need is seven. They didn't need thousands. They just need seven. But what they did was they released the power of multiplication in the church. I've come to tell this church today, and I know what's going on in this church because all I need to know about you is you are the macro, but your pastor and sister pastor are the micro. And the pastor is the culture of the church. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of worse people to be like than Tim and Stacy Gaddy. There's a lot worse people in the world. Let me say it better than that. Aren't you glad to have leaders like this? Amen. To imitate, to emulate. And I'm excited, and I know where this church is going because I know what that man says. In fact, I leaned over to him today. I said, I sort of feel like, you know, when Paul said to Timothy, I have no other man like-minded. And I got to tell you, I love your pastor I love his vision. I love how he preaches. If he's preaching, I'm on the front row. I got my Bible out. I got my pen out or my phone. I'm taking notes because I like where he's coming from. I like what he believes. And you know why I really like it? Because he's saying things that I'm saying. <laughs> That's why I really like it. He's talking about disciples. Everybody shout disciples. He's talking about multiplication. Say multiplication. I heard him say decentralization. Let me tell you something. In the fourth century, something happened to the church that changed it and took it in the wrong direction. In the fourth century, the so-called clergy. Clergy means holy. Clergy means educated. Clergy means, don't try this at home, leave this to the professionals. They wrested the ministry out of the hands of what they called the laity. By the way, clergy and laity are not apostolic terms. They're not biblical terms. It's not how the apostolic spirit-filled church in the 21st century does business. 
because we don't believe that only the anointed and the spiritual and the educated and the holy people are up here. And our job is to just sit out here and nod in in not in uh, our heads in approval. I know Pastor was teaching tracks this morning on how to rest, and I hope he didn't cure anybody's insomnia this morning. But that's enough for some of the so-called clergy. Let me tell you something. Laity means uneducated, unholy. And one derivative of the word laity, Brother Odell, is that you? I'm so happy to see you. I just had a moment right there. I love Danny Odell. I love him because he loves the holy ground. The 18 holy ground. That's right. He's my longtime friend. Where was I? Yeah, the laity. The laity. One derivative of the word laity means crippled limb. Crippled limb. So the people on the platform have this attitude of the people in the congregation we are the holy, the sanctified, the godly, the righteous. You are the unholy, the ignorant, the unlearned. You're even like dangling limbs on the body of Christ. You can't do nothing. You can't pray for anybody. You won't see any miracles. All the miracles happen up here. All the godly things happen up here. All the holy things. Is that what's going on at New Life? No. Come on, is that what we believe? No, something happened in the 4th century that took the ministry out of the hands of the church. And I want to tell you, if you're the kind of a Christian that just wants to come to church for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning, pay your tithes, and sing in the choir, you've come to the wrong church today because that's not who we are. That's not how we do business. We don't believe in a big gap between the clergy and the laity, but we believe that we are laborers together, that we have the power of God on the platform and in the pew. Did not Jesus say, these signs shall follow them that believe? He didn't say just signs are only for the called preachers. He said the believers are going to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Come on. Have you ever laid hands on somebody and seen them recover? He said the believers will cast out devils. The believers will baptize and go make disciples. Am I in a first century apostolic church today? Clap your hands if you believe it. You may be seated. I don't know if you know the Wikipedia story, but two gentlemen by the name of Larry Sanger and Jimmy Wales, in the year 2000, they purchased a website called Newpedia. And their vision was, to solicit articles of interest, sort of like an online encyclopedia, from professionals. And these articles had to be submitted by certified, registered, qualified, degreed professionals who then would have their articles vetted and reviewed by other certified, educated, articulate, qualified professionals and then they would have, you know, real good accuracy, and they would put it all online. After about two years, you know how many articles they had? 24. That went over like a flock of dogs. So 
they rethought their vision. And they said, you know what? Let's let anybody who has any expertise on any subject write an article of their choosing. Now, we will run them by professionals who give them a cursory look and to make, check them for accuracy. But we want to put our idea into the hands of the people. Man, I feel God in this house right now. God is calling somebody to minister today. God is seeking you out in this church today. If you've got a heart for God, if you've got a desire to be used by God, you are in the right place today. Amen. Here's what happened, the Wikipedia story. When they put it into the hands of the people in the first 12 months, 25,000 articles. That's the power of decentralization. That's the power of putting the ministry and putting the church in the hands of the people. Is there power on the platform? Yes. Is your pastor powerful? Yes. Does he partner with fivefold ministry locally and district-wise and regionally and globally? Yes. Do we believe in apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher? Yes. But let me tell you what their purpose is. Their purpose is to equip you so that you are trained and qualified and they lay hands on you and ordain you. And when you come under authority, then you have authority. And when you come under the blessing of God, then you have blessing and their job is to release you to do the work of the ministry I want to tell you something powerful happens it's wonderful when the congregation believes in the pastor but let me tell you what's better than that when the pastor believes in the congregation and you're a part of a church today that's a transformational church we're an impacting church because we don't just come and go through the motion but we believe we're a part of something bigger than I want you to raise your hand if you've ever if you've ever laid your hand on the someone sick and God healed them. Raise your hand. Look around. Look around. Look around at this. This this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. Praise God. I want you to know there's power on the platform. But this isn't the only place where the power is. There is power in them that are pews. There is power in the seats. Uh, amen. I've got that power. And you've got that power. Turn to somebody right now. Say, I've got that power. This is the power of the church. The impulse of Pentecost. Am I in a Pentecostal church today? Let me tell you what our impulse is. Our impulse is to go back to the beginning. To go back to the original. We don't just go back to the Azusa Street revival. We thank God for that revival. That's where modern Pentecostalism was reborn. But it was nothing new. And we don't go back to the great awakening. We thank God for that great revival. We don't go back to the reformation. We thank God for Martin Luther who 
had a vision to put the Bible back into the hands of the people. And he nailed his 95 protests to the, uh, the door of the Catholic Church in Germany. But we go back beyond that. Amen. We're going all the way back to where it started. We're going all the way back to where it began. Come on. I want it the way it was in the beginning. I'm not buying anything the historic church is selling me if it's taking the ministry out of the hands of the people. And if they're the only educated and we're the idiots, then I'm not, I don't want anything to do with that because absolute power corrupts absolutely. But something was going on in that first century church. And I'll tell you what I'm hungry for, and I haven't seen it yet. And I've been in Pentecost my whole life. I remember you teaching me at the shelter down by Camp Galilee in, in uh, kids' uh, youth camp. Lloyd and Nancy Shirley. And she said, all right, children, let's get out our Bibles. And, 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 and I was so amazed because her sister and her married two brothers. I don't know if you know that. Lloyd and Ken Shirley are brothers. And, and Nancy and what's your sister's name, Ruth? Ruth Icamp. Icamp was, the big, was one of the big names in our district in those days. Oh, yes, it was. And uh, a celebrated family, godly parents. And, and, but I'm going to tell you something I have never seen. I've been around Pentecost all my life. I'm a fifth generation. My wife, my kids are six. I have never seen it like it was going on in the day of Pentecost. But I'm going to live to see it. It's coming. The Bible said disciples multiply. I have never seen that. I have never seen that. But it's coming. If you believe it's coming. Let me tell you how this works. Let me tell you how this works. Our impulse is to go back to the beginning. When Peter woke up. On the day of Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit fell, all he had was a prophecy. Joel's prophecy. Chapter 2, verse 28. He knew it well. They all knew it well. They were devout Jews. That means they knew the Bible backwards and forwards, and all they had was the Old Testament. Joel 2, 28. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see vision. Your old men shall dream dreams on my servants and my handmaids. I will pour out of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Let me tell you something. This prophecy that Joel gave did not even fit in his prophetic sensibilities. He was saying things he didn't even believe. <laughs> Bet you never heard any preacher say that before. Joel is saying things he's not sure about because in his day, only the prophets prophesied. Come on. In his day, it's, you know, Ezekiel, Daniel, Elijah, Elisha, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, only the prophets prophesied. But Joel said, listen, one of these days, uh, God's pulling the... 
God's pulling all the stops out. Not just the prophets are going to prophesy. He said, but your sons and daughters, I'm going to decentralize the prophecies of the church. I'm going to decentralize the moving of the spirit. We're not going to reach our city. We're not going to impact the world until disciples start multiplying, until your sons and daughters start prophesying. I want my kids to prophesy. I want my sons and my daughters to enter into the world of the prophetic and understand the moving of the spirit. Woo! Everybody with me? Come on. We've got an opportunity, Pastor, to do something unusual and extraordinary. When Peter woke up, all he had was a prophecy. But by the time he laid his head down that night, now he had a precedent. Prophecy came to pass. On the day of Pentecost, suddenly, Acts 2, 1, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, two, two, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each one of them. It wasn't just the apostles being filled with the Holy Spirit, but 120 were being filled with the Holy Spirit, and that is your license to go and do the work of the ministry. Let me tell you something. The Holy Ghost is not just for the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, but the Holy Ghost is a missionary spirit. It's a disciple making spirit. It's a go spirit. It wants to go on an adventure. It wants to go have an adventure. It wants to go do something for God. I don't know if you ever heard about the $20 bill and the $1 bill that were being decommissioned at the Mint in Denver, Colorado. And they're bouncing on down the conveyor belt being decommissioned. And the $1 bill looks over Glowingly at the $20 bill and says, It's you. A $20 bill. Your life has been magical, I know. Tell me about your life. Where all have you been? $20 bill was popping his buttons. Oh, I've been to the Eiffel Tower. I've been to the Louvre. I've been to Petra. I saw where they filmed Indiana Jones and the Ark of the Covenant. What's that called? Yeah, Red Snake. Thank you so much. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, I've, I've been to Disney World 11 times and Disneyland 15 times. I've been to Grand Canyon. I've been to the finest restaurants in the world. He looked at the $1 bill. He said, where have you been? He said, no, I just go to church. Would the ushers please come? <laughs> huh? I want to ask you a question. Do you have a $20 bill of the Holy Ghost or a $1 bill? Huh? All you do is take your Holy Ghost to church? Is that all it's good for? Is that all the adventure you have? You're taking it to church? That's like taking a bucket of water to the ocean. Why do we need to do that? Why doesn't somebody start carrying some water to the desert? Huh? 
Do you have a $20 bill or a $1 bill? I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost in you wants to go do something. It wants to go pray with somebody. It wants to teach somebody a Bible study. It wants to have a spiritual conversation over a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Come on, am I preaching to a lockdown centralized church or am I preaching to a decentralized church that's going to go multiply and make disciples? When Peter got up, all he had was a prophecy. But when he went to bed that night, he had a precedent and a promise. I'm going to tell you right now, if our impulse is to go back to the beginning, and it is, then we are in store for some big stuff. Turn to somebody and say, big stuff's coming. Not wimpy little stuff. The prophet Jeremiah said, the Lord said, call on me. And I will show you great and mighty things. Huh? God didn't say, call on me and I'll show you weak and wimpy stuff. Call on me and I'll show you great and mighty things. He said, well, pastor, I heard a word from God, but I'm not really sure if it was God or not. Well, let me ask you a question. Was it weak and wimpy? Yes. That wasn't God. He, you don't need him to do that. You can go do that by yourself. You're weak and wimpy. You can just go and do that. <laughs> Am I operating in the gifts right now? A.W. Tozer said, God is looking for people to do the impossible through. It's a pity we plan only what we can do. As soon as I can think of his name, I'm going to quote another guy who said, if D.L. Moody, if God is your partner, make big plans. What sort of plans do you have for 2023? Are you just going to be sitting here in January of 2024, never did nothing, never said nothing, kept taking your $1 worth of the Holy Ghost to the, to the apostolic church, and we're glad you're here, and we thank God you're here. Amen. But I've come to wreck this house today. I don't mind telling you. I'm, I'm not going to sneak up on anybody. I'd like to pick this church up if God would help me on my shoulders and carry it about six inches in one direction at least. I've come to challenge you and to give you a purpose for your life and to give you a purpose for your ministry. I'm telling you, there's power in you. There's power to change a life. We talk about changing the world. How are we going to change the world? By making one disciple at a time. It's time at least for you to multiply yourself. It's time for at least for you to make a difference in someone's life. Twelve months from now, who's going to be sitting by you that you baptized, that you prayed through to the Holy Ghost? Twelve months from now, who is going to be in this house that you laid hands and God delivered them and devils came out of them and they were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Huh? Everybody all right? I told you if you don't like it, blame it on pastor. Woo! Listen, we have more than a prophecy about the last days. Everything in the book of Acts is ours. Let me tell you how this works. I say something profound, intelligent, revelatory 
And if you agree, you say amen. Everything in the book of Acts is out. Come on, we are that church. When the Holy Ghost fell, Peter said, this is that. Huh? Yeah, what's happening here, we've got precedent for it. What's happening here on the day of Pentecost, we got prophecy for it. And it's happened here, now it's ours. I don't know how many people are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit in any other church in Cabot, Arkansas this morning. But I know it's going to happen here today. If there is hunger, if there is faith, it's going to happen here. Because we have a prophecy, and we have a precedent, and we have a promise. And it's going to happen. How's it going to happen? happen I'll tell you Paul said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and you don't have to wait for the altar call to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost the Bible said in Acts chapter 10 while Peter yet spake these words the Holy Ghost fell on them we have a prophecy now I want to show you a sequence of scriptures in the book of Acts And I want to ask you if you'll agree with me that this is our destiny. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 28. Did we not strictly command you to not teach in the name? And look, you filled all Jerusalem with your doctrine. Somebody say, I'm claiming that. The only problem is you don't live in Jerusalem. On the count of three, tell me the community you live in. One, two, three. A lot of cabots here. And some of you are North Little Rock and Little Rock and I don't know what BB, I saw a sign for BB and other communities around here. Filled all Jerusalem. Have we done that yet? Huh? Have we filled our whole city? But how many believes it's coming? How many believes we're going to do it? Who's going to do it? Everybody up here? No, come on, turn to somebody and say, we're going to do that. Huh? Am I in the book? Is our impulse to go back to the beginning? I don't know of a city where that's happened yet, Brother Gaddy. I say let Cabot be the beginning. To fill Cabot with the doctrine. Why do we need to fill Cabot with the doctrine? So that people can be saved. So that people can come out of addiction. So that people can get their marriage back together and bring their family back together. You say, will doctrine do that? Yes, doctrine will do that. The word will do that. Teaching will do that. Come on, clap your hands if doctrine has touched you and changed you and impacted you. They fill the city. Look at chapter 8. Look at chapter 8. Therefore, those who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. (laughs) Who's preaching? The apostles. Just the apostles, they're preaching. Oh, just the apostles and the prophets. See, that's why we haven't multiplied disciples yet. Because we think all the preaching has to happen up there. We only have one place. In the whole county where preaching can happen. Oh, really? That's not the way it was in the first church. Can I tell you something? This is beautiful. This is not even apostolic. Hope Brother Bernard's watching this. 
It's beautiful. It's functional. It works. The pulpit is an invention of the 10th century. Peter didn't have one on the day of Pentecost. In fact, they didn't even have a dedicated worship center. If you'd have walked up to somebody in the first century and said, where do you go to church? Look at me like deer in the headlights, like good face, man. That was good. That came natural for you, didn't it? I love you and I like you. Bet you can ball, man. No. Listen. They went everywhere. Who? The apostles? Everybody was preaching. Pastor, can we redefine preaching? Can we redefine what preaching means? We talked about this in, in, in our leadership. You guys talked about it. Pastor Nate talked about it. Listen. This is not the only place where preaching can happen. And this is not the only man that is preaching in this community or this man or this man or that man. Listen, they that were scattered abroad, that means everybody, all the disciples. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. It wasn't them. It was everybody. And we will not multiply disciples until you understand that you have the power to preach. What does that mean? Paul said, preach the gospel. Francis of Assisi said, if necessary, use words. So your life is preaching. Your life is preaching. But let me tell you something. They went everywhere preaching the word. This means they were telling their story of what Jesus did for them and putting a gospel context around it. Here's what Jesus did for me because I obeyed Acts 2.38 which says repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and he will fill you with the Holy Ghost. They were going everywhere preaching. It's no wonder disciples were multiplying. I can't say that about Kansas City yet, but we're reaching for it. Look at the next verse, verse 8. And there was great joy in that city. In other words, this, this is Philip. He's a table waiter, but the apostles laid hands on him. Let me tell you something. If you come under apostolic authority and anointing, you're not going to be serving tables the rest of your life. You're not going to be waiting on crabby old widows, asking if they want cheese on their hamburger for the rest of your life. You're headed for... (laughs) See, I wish you'd start preaching better. Listen, when Pastor Gaddy starts preaching better, I'll preach better because I watch him preach, and when he gets better, I'll get better. Huh? Yeah, there was great joy. And listen, the Holy Spirit hadn't even fallen yet. What was happening? Peter preached, uh, Philip preached Jesus. He had miracles. He cast out devils. And there was great joy. Everybody smile. I can't say that about Kansas City yet. There's only been two times when I've seen joy fill the city in the 35 years I've been there. And that's in 2015 when the Royals won the World Series. There was great joy in that city. And 2020, when the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. And they're going to do it again this year. Can I have a better amen? Sorry. I went and picked a fight with somebody right there. 
How many love me? Huh? There was great joy. You know what? If we could just get everybody in this church to smile, we'd grow by 10% in the next six months. Let's just have a smile revival. Come on, get warm and fuzzy right now. Look around and smile. Let joy, let joy come. Huh? Is this a joyful church? Is this a happy church? Is this a clappy church? Come on, let great joy fill this city. Take the joy with you everywhere you go. The Bible said the joy of the Lord is my Clap your hands if you got the joy of the Lord. I can't say that yet, but when it happens, we'll multiply disciples. Look at the next verse. Acts 13, 44, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city, oh, pastor, came together to hear the word of God. I want you to preach to this whole city. I have a friend from India. He comes every year, and we drive by Arrowhead Stadium where the Chiefs play, and it seats 80,000. He always points at it and prophesies, Brother, you're going to preach gospel in Arrowhead Stadium. 80,000 people come to hear you preach. He says it every time. I don't know if it's going to happen or how it's going to happen, but I'm ready. Maybe they'll let me sing the national anthem. And the home of the brave. And as the stealth bomber is flying over, I'll keep that microphone on. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. Repent and be baptized, everyone. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'd like for the whole city to come and hear that man of God preach. Would you like to have a citywide event where pastor is preaching the gospel? It's our prophecy. It's our precedent. If they did it, we can do it. We got to believe the word. Look at the next one. Look at the next one. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brother into the rulers and cried out, These who've turned the world upside down. That's what their enemies were saying. We can't even get some of you to turn a chair upside down. And they're turning the world. What does that mean? Wreaking havoc, messing up the synagogues. Coming up against traditions. Look at the next one. Acts 19.10. In two years, all of modern day Turkey heard the word. How's that happening? Paul's teaching the school of Tyrannus. And for three months, he trains, equips, informs, inspires, anoints young people. And then they run out. And they're going everywhere preaching the word. And a new wave comes in. And for three months he's training them and teaching them. And impacting them and praying with them and crying over them. And we know he did this because the Bible says that this is what's Paul's manner. And then he released them. And, and he did this for two years until an entire region heard the word of God. So I'm going to do my best to bring this message to a close. But wow. Sorry if you're drinking from a fire hydrant this morning. But I am so full of what I see, hear, and feel of what God has in store for this church. So we see how the early church performed, how they acted. And they are our brothers and sisters. We are that church. 
we can do what they did. I hear preachers say, we're blowing the book of Acts away. I'm sorry, I don't think so. According to what I've just read to you, I think we've got a little distance to go. But I'm going to tell you what will multiply disciples. When you start teaching Bible studies and you start going everywhere preaching the word, that we would say teach Bible studies. And, and it's, there's no difference. There's no difference. We're teaching the word. So my daughter, Michaela, last year was teaching a third grade public school class, Belvedere. And she uh, had a problematic student, third grader, but disruptive, almost full of the devil. Uh, speaking that uh, hyperbically, of course. But <coughs> she came home and said, Dad, there's no parenting going on in public schools, at homes of public school children. No parenting. She spent 90% of her time parenting, 10% teaching. So frustrating. So she thought, I'm going to have to get the word into this young man's mother's home. The young man was nine. The mother was 23. She had him very young, not living with his father. <coughs> and so Michaela is on her second lesson. And I got a picture of this lady at her kitchen table. Here's what happened. Michaela's teaching, and suddenly something happens. Do you have that picture? She's at the kitchen table, and Michaela's talking about the Holy Spirit, and look what happens. She's never been to our church. Huh? She's never been to the Life Church at this moment, and conviction falls. Let me tell you something. You don't have to go to church to have church. In the first century, if, when I started to say, if you'd have walked up to somebody and said, where do you go to church? They'd have looked at you, what are you talking about? We don't have a dedicated worship place. They were the church. They did church. Let me tell you something. If it'll happen in here, it'll happen out there. God will back you up. His word will back you up. If you lay hands on the sick, they will recover. If you'll teach the word, they will be filled with the Holy Ghost because we don't just go to church. We are the church. We are the activated church. Everywhere we go, you can't not be the church anywhere you go. You are the church everywhere you go. God filled her with the Holy Ghost. She'd never seen anybody filled with the Holy Ghost. She'd never heard anybody speak with tongues. And God filled her with the Holy Ghost. And show the next slide. And Michaela takes her to the house of the Lord and baptizes her. I didn't baptize her. She baptized her. When are you going to baptize your disciple? When is pastor going to say, you know, you've been teaching that Bible study. It's time for you to baptize. You may be seated. I'm, I'm closing. So I brought a picture. I'm getting ready to get real theologically deep right now, so get that far away look in your eye. I have a master's degree from seminary. This is getting really deep. I'm not sure. It's probably going to go over most of your heads. But I brought a picture of an apple. I amaze myself sometimes. In fact, I asked Pastor, if I can get it done, what address would I want Amazon? I tried. I waited a day too late. I was going to give everybody a plastic apple. But they wouldn't have got here till today, and it probably would have been after church. 
So my fault, I wanted to put an apple in your hand so that you'd never forget it. What, 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 what are the parts of an apple? Well, at the top, you see the stem, and then you see the skin. Thank what, What's inside the skin? The meat. And then what's inside the middle? The core. And what's in the core? Oh, oh a superior audience. How many seeds are in one apple? Five. Who said five? Gold star. Five to eight. But every apple usually has five. And on Sunday, I asked Pastor, how many were here last Sunday? He said, it's the greatest attendance we've ever had. Is that what you told me? In the last two years. Can I say what it was? 291. Can we celebrate that for a minute right now? Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. How many are sitting in your assigned seat this morning? <laughs> are you willing to give up that seat? Or are you a turf protector? Are you territorial? Well, I got my seat. By God, I pay tithes and offerings. I will be onto that. Low-down guest that sits in my spot. Well, you better watch out. God will call your bluff on that one. Huh? Do you prefer others more than yourself? That'll make you, help you make disciples. So on Sunday, most pastors think of the Sunday church as the apple. And the seeds is what we count. We had 291 seeds in the apple today, Pastor Nate. Wow. Let's tweet that. Let's put that all over social media. 291 seeds in the apple. But maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe the question is not how many seeds are in the apple. But maybe the question to get us back to the first century multiplication is how many apples are in the seeds. When you plant one seed, it becomes a, a tree. And in one growing season, that tree produces three to 500 more apples. I've never seen it, Pastor. I want to see it. I've seen some people multiply themselves, but I've never seen the disciples multiply greatly, greatly. It happened. When the word of God increased eight times, let's stand, eight times in the book of Acts, the Bible says the word of God increased. Everybody say the word, word. Increased. increased. Say it again. The word, word. Increased. increased. What does that mean? They went out and bought big family Bibles? No, it means you went everywhere preaching the word. And when the word of God increases, disciples will multiply. The right question is not how many are here today. I don't know how many is here today. Probably as many as last week, not more. That's wonderful. 
But that's not really the right question. Only 5% of the churches in America ever get to 350. You're right there. You're there. Are we just going to be happy with that? Are we going to multiply? Are we going to have to go to multiple services someday? Get ready, get ready, get ready. Is that going to be more work for somebody? But we're going to multiply. Praise God. I am in the 21st century version of a first century apostolic Pentecostal church. Let's have all the markings of that church. Let's have all the power of that church. Let's demonstrate all the activity of that church. Let's demonstrate all of the behavior of that church. It is our prophecy. It is our precedent. It is our destiny. I'm going to open this altar and I want you to listen carefully. If you're willing to become a first century disciple and live like they lived and preach the word like they preached the word and do the ministry like they did the ministry, I want you to come right now to this altar. Come on. Come on. If you're willing to live like a first century disciple, come on in here. Come on. We're getting commitments at the beginning of 2023. Don't just keep doing what you've done and expect a different result. It's time to get the word out there. Come on, we're going to sing in a minute, but not right now. Right now, we're going to lift our hands and we're going to say, Lord, let the power of the first century church come upon us. Let it come upon me. Come on, I want you to pray. Come on, I want you to pray. Say, Lord, help me to multiply. Lord, I'm a seed. I'm not just in the apple. I'm a seed waiting to break out of the apple. I'm going to go plant myself in my community. Come on, let an anointing come on you right now. Pastor's going to come up here and pray over you in just a moment. But I want you to lift your hands, lift your voice, open your heart. Come on, something's going to fall on you today. God's given you an assignment. God's given you purpose. God's letting you in on your destiny. Come on, let's go, new life. Let's go. What are you waiting for? Go multiply. Go multiply. Come on, you got it. You've got the seed. You've got the seed to go multiply. Oh, yeah. Come on, mom and dad. That's it. That's it. In the name of Jesus, let the anointing come on you. Let the Holy Ghost come upon you today. Figure out your destiny. God's going to give you a vision of your future. Praise God. In the name of Jesus.